I genuinely believe in the power of resurrection. You know, I believe in the possibility of, of life in these situations of death and, and what seems maybe hopeless. Um, and so I believe that God is constantly working for liberation and we're called to be co-creators of that liberation with God. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Reclaiming Social Justice. My name is Danny, and I'm the host. In this month, for Human Trafficking Awareness Month, we've been interviewing um, different anti-trafficking organizations. In this episode, I speak with Jennifer Reyes-Ley, Executive Director of U.S. Catholic Sisters Against Human Trafficking, about their work to eliminate this issue. Specifically, we talk about the different advocacy campaigns that they're leading and participating in, the link between human trafficking and how it affects immigrants, refugees, and other displaced people, actions that local parishes can take, and myths and misinformation about this issue. If you enjoy this episode, please like and subscribe this podcast, Reclaiming Social Justice, and share this episode on your social media. So without further ado, meet Jennifer. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. And why don't we jump straight into things by talking about your organization, the U.S. Catholic Sisters Against Human Trafficking. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks, Danny, for the invitation to share with you today. Um, I'm honored to serve as the executive director for U.S. Catholic Sisters Against Human Trafficking. We are a national faith-based collaborative that works to educate, to support access to survivor services, and engage in advocacy in order to eradicate modern-day slavery in the form of human trafficking. Um, And so we're a membership-based organization. We currently have over 100 congregations of women religious who are members of our organization, as well as coalitions, um, local churches, and dozens of individuals who also believe in this mission and vision of a world without slavery. We're a relatively young organization, I would say. Um, I was just recently hired on in last year in 2019 and I'm the organization's first executive director. Uh, It started kind of back in 2013 when an initial group of about 15 sisters got together for a meeting in Washington, D.C., who were all involved in anti-trafficking work. And it was from that meeting that they realized, you know, there's a lot that Catholic sisters are doing all across the country, but aren't necessarily connected and collaborating on those efforts. And there could be real power in building a network of collaboration. And so from there, um, they formed a steering committee of three very brave and dedicated sisters um, who helped to, to see the kind of the growing of this group over the first few years, reaching out primarily initially to other women's religious congregations to see who might be interested and getting on board and joining um, to today now having you know a thriving organization like I mentioned of hundreds of members um, made up of both lay and religious. Um, I'm a lay woman. I'm not a Catholic sister, um, but love collaborating with the sisters on this work. Our board of directors um, does continue right now um, to be all Catholic sisters. We have 15 sisters from different congregations all across the country, um, and part of 
the network that exists here in the United States is actually part of a larger international network of women religious working to end human trafficking called Talitha Koum. And Talitha Koum um, was a project started by the International Union of Superior Generals who oversees all of women's religious life, um, who realized that human trafficking is a major issue happening all over the world. And it's an issue particularly that Catholic sisters want to get involved in, want to take action on um, believing in human dignity, believing in you know, the freedom that every person was born for. And so today um, we are the US network of Talitha Koum, this international network. And there's over 50 networks like ours all over the world of Catholic sisters and other lay collaborators um, who are focused on this issue. So it's really exciting to see the impact, you know, and the growth, even just over the last five or so years of, you know, sisters partnering with others um, on this really important issue. Talitha Kum, what does that, what does that mean? Where does that come from? Yeah, so Talitha Kum comes from scripture, um, from the gospel story of the young girl who was thought to be, you know, deceased by her family, and Jesus comes to visit the family. And he says, Talitha Kum, which means little girl arise. Yes. And so it's this idea that in situations where there seems to not be any hope, where there seems to just be, you know, this death and this violence that pervades, um, that we believe in the possibility of new life. You know, that idea of get up, you know, and arise Mm. and embrace, you know, this new life, this new future in store for you. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, I, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> um, so you're the executive director, and you said you're the first one, right, of, of yes. this relatively new organization. And what a time to start a job. I think we talked about this, you know, in the first time we met that um, I, I started, I'm new in this role as well. And it is such a crazy time to start a new job in, in a new organization like yours. So tell us how the pandemic has impacted what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of the things over this past year that has been really beautiful to see is how flexible, you know, and adaptive that our network of supporters and advocates really are. Um, Because we're a national organization, a lot of the work that we did prior to the pandemic was already in sort of this virtual space. Um, You know, I was very comfortable um, holding meetings via Zoom. A lot of our board meetings even prior to the pandemic, we're on Zoom just because of how spread out geographically we are as an organization. So that also helped to set us up for some success, knowing that so much of the programming, you know, has had to shift to these online spaces of webinars and, you know, sharing on the website and social media. And I think that, um, you know, all of our volunteers and collaborators have done an excellent job of still continuing to create, um, you know, excellent content during the pandemic, share it on our social media channels. We're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. We know that traffickers are using those same channels to try and lure and recruit people in, particularly um, with sex trafficking, but also even with labor trafficking, with like false job, you know, offers and opportunities. So it's really important to us to be in those same spaces, sharing our message of awareness and prevention, um, you know, that others can can be part of as well. 
One of the sad trends that we've seen and heard from other anti-trafficking collaborators during the pandemic has been the rise of online exploitation um, with the shutdown and people, you know, having to stay home and stay separated more. Um, organizations like the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children have reported that they've received, um, you know, close to 100% increase in reports of um, content that's, you know, sexually exploitative of children. Um, and so knowing that children who are also doing online learning or spending more time, you know, on their devices, they might have a lot of these social media apps on their phones um, that makes them more vulnerable. One of the campaigns, um, kind of awareness raising too, that we've been doing this year has been on how to keep kids safe, you know, yeah. online. Um, and so we do have a whole page of resources on our website, sistersagainsttrafficking.org, um, for parents, for educators, for children themselves, you know, that you can have them watch a video about, you know, what to do if strangers approach you, you know, in these virtual spaces, um, how to talk to trusted adults, how to keep your, yourself safe. Um, and then we also have been following, you know, on the legislative side, what are some of the things we can do to promote stronger laws in place, um, both for prevention and for prosecution for those who are continuing to exploit both children and adults online in these mediums. So one campaign we did earlier in the year um, focused on actually implementing a law that was already on the books, the Protect mm -hmm. Our Children Act from 2008. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had been hearing that it just wasn't being funded and fully enforced. Um, so we had a petition. We collected around 1,200 signatures to send to the attorney general, letting him know, you know, this is an incredibly important issue now more so than ever with children having increased screen time that we really need to make sure that these task forces are fully funded to help, you know, protect children. And then the other campaign um, that's ongoing right now is around supporting a bill called the Earn It Act. Mm -hmm. And what the Earn It Act will do is will create sort of this commission of a lot of different experts in the field representing different areas to create some industry standards for internet service providers to make sure that they are taking every measure possible to prevent this kind of trafficking and online exploitation happening on their site. Currently, um, there aren't a lot of strong laws in place for actually prosecuting and holding these companies accountable for the content that's on their sites. And what this would do was to, would be to help increase that accountability so that organizations who don't agree or you know, who don't follow these practices can then be held liable um, for the content that's being shared. This is a bill that's in both the House and the Senate. It has bipartisan support across the aisle. Um, it's really about, you know, again, protecting the most vulnerable people from this type of online exploitation and trafficking. That's great. Um, so that's that's the Earn It Act. And, you know, I, what I can't help but think about in the back of my mind something that you told me that you're pretty much like a staff uh, of one right now and I'm just like thinking and hearing all these things that you're doing and I'm like how does she do that you know <laughs> how does she you know balance all these things um it's just crazy and kudos to you you know yeah um, thank you um you know we are we're we're small I'm the only full-time staff person um I've got one part-time staff person who helps with some membership and development but we really have an incredible team of volunteers you know um, the organization ran entirely off of volunteers for its first, you know, four years, really, mm -hmm. since incorporation until I was hired in 2019. So, um, you know, that's 
one of the beautiful things about the sisters who work with us and also many of our lay collaborators is they just have such a heart and such a passion for seeing an end to human trafficking that, you know, they really help uh, keep all this programming and, you know, keep the organization going as well. There's a lot of anti-trafficking organizations, right? International as well as national and local. Um, And one of my goals in interviewing folks for this series on human trafficking is just to introduce people to these different organizations. um, I'm wondering what's I mean, I think the obvious thing that's unique and different about you and other organizations is that you're 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 faith based, right? And you're ran um, at least from the um, board of directors level by by Catholic sisters, right? And, and hence the name. But what would you say to some of the other things that are unique about your organization, your 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 values, your your mission, so on and so forth? Yeah, I think knowing that we were founded by Catholic sisters, um, our core values are all rooted in Catholic social teaching. So, you know, the inherent dignity of the human person is absolutely fundamental to the work that we do. A commitment to those who are poor and vulnerable, um, believing in, you know, the establishment of right relationships to promote the common good, the defense for the basic rights of workers, solidarity with one another, and, you know, entering into the joys and sorrows. All of these core components of Catholic social teaching are really what drives our work as an organization as well. However, we also recognize that, you know, these core beliefs and and core values aren't um, unique to to Catholicism, right? That most major religions and even non-religious people um, believe in, you know, human dignity, basic human rights, that nobody should be, you know, kept in a situation of slavery. And so we're also um, more than happy to collaborate with anyone in the field who, you know, holds these same kind of core mission and values in the work to end human trafficking. I think, too, because of the nature of how um, spread out we are with being, you know, a membership based organization that anyone in the United States can join. We're also in a unique position to really have a greater impact on things like these advocacy initiatives or to have greater outreach on education and prevention. Because when we send out an email, you know, there's thousands of people all throughout the country who are getting this information, who are passing it along to their family and friends or communities. Um, And so we're really grateful to be in a position where we are so connected to so many communities around the country um, that we can help facilitate, you know, that kind of networking and collaboration. We can provide resources. Um, You know, we our hope really is that like we can be sort of this central hub of, you know, information and communications so that anyone who's interested in working in this issue, but particularly, you know, in Catholic communities and Catholic circles um, knows like, where can I go to find good information? How can I get connected and get plugged in? We can really be that resource for people. Yeah. What does it look like for, you know, a, a parish to be involved in this issue, but specifically be involved with your organization? Yeah, so there are lots of different things that a local parish can do to get involved sort of generally around human trafficking, right? Like one is uh, events like this, where it's kind of sharing information, educating parishioners about what's the current reality of human trafficking, 
recognizing that it is in fact happening, you know, in your city, in your community. Um, and oftentimes it's just hidden. It's kind of one of those crimes that's in the shadows. And so people don't realize it. So the more education you can do, you know, the more prevention, you know, the safer um, people will be kind of the more, you know, um, you know, the better off that you are. So continuing to educate, you know, in a church setting too, one great way to do that is like, include something in sort of your weekly bulletin um, about human trafficking, maybe just a little fact each week or a piece of information. Um, we have some suggested bulletin inserts on our website under faith resources that people can check out. Another great way is through prayer, you know, including the petitions in some mm. of the weekly prayers about human trafficking. Again, just keeps it in people's minds so they realize this is happening. Um, you know, it's a reality. One cool um, thing that a lot of churches I know are doing on the labor trafficking side to try and help prevent labor trafficking is looking at fair trade, right? And so um, if you have a coffee hour after church, um, I know we haven't been able to do those during yeah. the pandemic uh, when we get together again, together in person and are able to share like that, making sure that the coffee you're purchasing is fair trade, um, you know, making sure that if you have chocolates, you know, you can buy fair trade chocolates. Um, some churches even have like a whole fair trade fair, you know, around um, gift giving times, like around Christmas to make sure that, you know, if we're going to purchase items, we want to make sure that slave labor wasn't involved. Mm -hmm. And one great way to do that is with fair trade. Um, another thing that, you know, kind of local churches and parishes can do is to figure out who's already doing work in your area, you know, and that's something that we could try and help, you know, people find out and get connected to within your local community. Um, from, you know, some of our different contacts around the country, but see, you know, who's already involved. You don't have to start from scratch. I right. guarantee there's probably already someone do doing something in your community. So how can you partner with them, mm -hmm. especially around like if there's maybe already a shelter for survivors in your area, partnering with them to see what are their needs? How can you do fundraisers? How can you help provide maybe like toiletry items or clothing for the women? Um, there's lots of different opportunities for you know, figuring out what's going on in your community and how you can get plugged in locally. And then certainly we would welcome anyone who's interested to join our network with US Catholic Sisters Against Human Trafficking. We have a number of different levels of membership. So if an individual wants to join, um, it's just $50 a year. Uh, if you're a student, it's just $25 a year. Um, and then you know, groups and coalitions or you know, churches could have a group membership. Um, based on, you know, what's possible for your particular organization. And then once you're connected to our network, you have the opportunity to attend our members-only webinars on different educational topics. Um, you get monthly newsletters that are just for members from us. We have a whole special portal on the website with resources and communications just for members to kind of stay connected, to keep networking with one another. And it's great because then if somebody has like a question, let's say, there's something that comes up in your local community, you know, and you want advice. There's probably someone else in our network somewhere in the country who's already done that thing or already had to face that question or that challenge. And so you can reach out to this community and ask, you know, what have you done in this case, you know, or what did you find successful or helpful? Um, and it can be really a community of support in that way, too. Yeah. And I, I shared with you a little bit about our community that we're we're very diverse, right? We have a a large Hispanic community, a large Vietnamese community, um, people from the Philippines and um, all over Southeast Asia. 
um, and many people with with immigrant backgrounds and even even refugees. And we know that these populations are particularly vulnerable to um, being targeted uh, for human trafficking, right? Um, and in fact, I just got an email from somebody um, sharing a story about um, a town that's near us called Lake Oswego and um, having a, a, a nanny that was undocumented mm -hmm. from Mexico for three years. And basically she was being exploited because she didn't have um, papers. And so they, mm -hmm. they took advantage of that and um, made her work for all day without pay. Um, and it's just crazy to hear how close to home that hits. So I don't know if you can help kind of expand on that and how this issue of human trafficking intersects with, um, with immigration and forced displacement. Absolutely. Yes. Human trafficking is a reality that intersects with a lot of other um, types of sort of systemic injustice. Um, one definitely being kind of xenophobia and discrimination against, you know, exploitation of immigrants and refugees who are coming to this country. Um, Polaris, which is the national organization that runs the National Human Trafficking Hotline, um, you know, has issued a few different reports on kind of the statistics and realities around human trafficking. And one of the things they point out is that um, immigrants uh, are, you know, susceptible to both sex trafficking and labor trafficking. But the number one risk factor in labor trafficking situations is recent migration status, um, you know, or, or transition. And it's the number three risk factor for sex trafficking. So some of the realities that, you know, put these populations at more vulnerable risk, as you mentioned, um, maybe not having legal work authorization. And so people will threaten them with deportation, threaten them with violence, um, threaten family members with deportation or violence in order to maintain control of them, you know, in these exploitative ways. Oftentimes, too, newly arriving, um, you know, migrants to the to this country don't have a full command of the English language. They don't know all of the laws that exist here in this country. And so it's easier for traffickers to take advantage of them um, by exploiting some of those vulnerabilities of not knowing their legal rights, you know, of not maybe being able to understand um, all of the different processes for, you know, fair pay and, and legal work authorization. And then also too, just the transitory nature of, you know, migration, not having that community of support, um, you know, as if you were in your local community and had those ties to friends and family members, but being in transition also makes you more vulnerable to, you know, traffickers. Traffickers, unfortunately, um, are very smart and very cunning, and they know how to identify people who they can take advantage of. Um, and unfortunately, you know, many migrant and refugee populations are more easily to be taken advantage of because they're in such a desperate situation to make money, to survive, to provide for their families. Um, you know, again, they don't know necessarily all of their legal rights or they don't have a good command of the language. And so it's easier for somebody to present them maybe with a false job opportunity. Um, and then they end up in a situation of trafficking that they don't know how to get out of. Yeah. You know, when I, when, as I've been learning more about this topic, um, in, in my role and then in preparation for this this month of January, which is National Human Trafficking Awareness Month, I have realized just how this is probably one of the most unspoken about injustices in the world, mm -hmm. right? And I just finished reading the Pope's new encyclical, Fratelli Tutti, 
where he mentions human trafficking a couple of times and describes it as like humanity's biggest shame and embarrassment in alongside with um, with poverty and, and hunger. The fact that in 2020, people are still dying from from hunger and are being victims of, of human trafficking. And I know for some people, it could be kind of hard to, to even have the desire to attend these kinds of events because they're so heavy, right? Mm. And they're so challenging and difficult. Um, I don't know, what, what would you say to people like that who kind of have that, that hesitancy, you know, to, to really immerse themselves in learning about this topic, attending a discussion or a presentation because of just how heavy the content can be? Yeah, I would say that regardless of, you know, how difficult it is to hear, every single one of us has a responsibility to know this reality because we're complicit in it. Um, Because of the ways that, you know, we are interconnected as a human species and as a more than human species with the rest of creation, you know, um, climate change and environmental destruction definitely pushes a lot of this forced migration that puts people at greater risk of trafficking. But because of just the interrelated nature of our relationships, knowing that, you know, it's estimated around 40 million people all over the world are trafficked every year. um, We have a responsibility to know that reality and to do everything that we can to change it. Uh, Pope Francis has been an incredible advocate on this issue. um, And, you know, we're grateful for for so much of his call to the Catholic community and beyond to get involved. Because it is something that, you know, when you look at the labor trafficking side of, you know, consumerism, which is something that Pope Francis has also, you know, spoken out about quite frequently, sort of this throwaway culture of just creating these cheap products and always needing to have a new version, throwing it out again. Where are the products that we're buying coming from? You know, they're often coming from situations of slave labor and child labor um, in many countries around the world. And so, if we're not aware of it, if we're not willing to sort of sit and face, you know, this really ugly and harsh reality, then we remain complicit in it. And so we have a responsibility as, you know, our brothers and sisters keepers um, to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to really, you know, protect one another and transform this reality. Well, I think people like you are great witnesses, right, of, you know, that, you know, I, 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 I see you, 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 you look like such a joyful person, you know, just by, you know, your facial expressions, your tone of voice, your passion, right? And so I think people might wonder, what, what, how do you do it? How do you stay inspired and motivated to um, continue immersing yourself in this, in this reality? Yeah, I think for me, honestly, and, you know, this might seem like a little bit of a, a paradox or, you know, kind of a contradiction, but the survivors that we know and work with um, are really what gives me hope to know that they have come through unimaginable situations of violence and trauma um, and that they've been able to get to, you know, to, to heal. Um, it's an, a journey. It's an ongoing journey for them, but their passion and their dedication to making sure that nobody else has to suffer that same kind of violence and exploitation that they suffered when I sit with them and I, you know, I listen to those stories, I just think like, how could I not, you know, how could, how could I not keep going? How could I not keep giving everything that I have um, when I haven't, you know, faced anything comparable to what some of these survivors have been through? Um, I think, you know, that's part of 
the responsibility for those of us who have different types of privilege, you know, in our identities is to make sure that we're always using that, that privilege on behalf of the most vulnerable um, to transform the systems that we are complicit in, you know, and partially responsible for. So for me, you know, the people that I work with continue to give me hope, um, not even just the survivors, but so many of our volunteers and the sisters, their ongoing passion, dedication. And then, you know, ultimately my faith, which draws me to this work in the first place, but I genuinely believe in the power of resurrection. You know, I believe in the possibility of of life in these situations of death and and what seems maybe hopeless. Um, and so I believe that God is constantly working for liberation and we're called to be co-creators of that liberation with God. Yes, beautiful. Well, since we were talking about um, how this intersects with immigration and our immigrant um, uh, community, uh, you're going to do a presentation for um, our Hispanic community in Spanish. And so um, maybe now would be a good time to talk about that. And if you want, you could even um, dar un mensaje en español para nuestra comunidad hispana. Claro que sí. Uh, con mucho gusto voy a dar una presentación. Creo que hemos dicho el 13. Sí, el 13 de enero. Sí. Enero a las 7 de la noche a la comunidad hispanohablante. Um, es muy importante que todos y todas tienen acceso a esta información. Es información que podemos usar para proteger nuestras familias, nuestros seres queridos, nuestros mismos. Entonces, por favor, les invito a todas y todos um, que vengan para aprender más, para participar en esta conversación muy importante. Um, de la trata de personas, cómo podemos prevenirlo, cuáles son los señales, cuáles son los recursos para los que han sufrido una situación así. Y sí, con mucho gusto uh, voy a estar compartiendo con todas ustedes. Gracias, Jennifer. Um, well, uh, to close, where else can folks go to learn more about your organization and support you? Absolutely. Um, the best way really to kind of find the wealth of information that we have and learn more is on our website. It's Sisters Against Trafficking, altogether, no spaces, .org. And on there, you'll see um, we have lots of different information on educational resources, on our current advocacy campaigns, like I mentioned with the Earn It Act. Um, on ways to get involved with survivor support. Um, we have a number of houses we're connected to across the country offering direct services to survivors. We provide educational scholarships with the donations um, of people who want to support survivors' ongoing educational pursuits. So you can learn more there. Also, faith resources um, coming up in January and then February 8th is actually the World Day of Prayer and Awareness Against Human Trafficking. It's the Feast of St. Josephine Bakita, who's mm -hmm. the patron saint for survivors of human trafficking. Um, and so we'll have some prayer resources there and other activities and ways to get involved. So I encourage you to check out all of that on our website. Um, and then we also, of course, have a donate page you can access through our website. Um, uh, you can also mail checks into our St. Louis office. All of that information is available on our website, but we certainly support people's support, whether it's, 
you know, able to make a financial donation, um, keeping us in your prayers is greatly appreciated. We appreciate your prayerful support. Or if you want to join as a member and actually get involved in one of our working groups, um, that's another benefit of membership, whether it's as an individual or as a group, you can join then one of the working groups focused on either education, advocacy, or survivor services um, to get more involved that way. Wonderful. Um, thank you, Jennifer. Uh, any final words or anything that we didn't cover that you want to make sure you share before um, before we conclude here? Yeah, I think one thing when we had kind of talked through some of the questions was like, what are some of the myths about human trafficking? Yeah. And so I just want to highlight, um, you know, there have been a lot of rumors um, and sort of different theories and campaigns throughout the past year um, related to human trafficking. And it's really important to review, like, what are the sources of that information, you know, and, and to only really share information that's being put out by reliable sources, mm -hmm. because it can do more harm than good to promote false, you know, realities, false narratives around human trafficking. Um, Polaris, like I had mentioned earlier, um, always puts out good, accurate information. They actually have a whole page on their website dedicated to myths and facts about human trafficking. Um, Ekpat USA is another reliable source of information. Um, World Without Exploitation is a great coalition that puts out good, reliable information that's survivor-informed, really led by survivors. Certainly our organization, you know, we're only sharing information that's verified and reliable. Um, you know, and one of the biggest things I think I want people to remember and keep in mind is that the majority of people who are trafficked, particularly for sex trafficking, are trafficked by people that they know. Mm. Um, I think one of the big myths that's kind of made popular by Hollywood movies, among other things, is that people are kidnapped off the street by strangers and forced into this life of sex trafficking. Um, but the reality is something different, that most um, survivors I know personally and have heard from were trafficked initially either by a family member, a trusted friend, or an intimate partner. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing that it's somebody who's already known this person and built up a trusting relationship with them that then leads them to be able to exploit them um, is really important, especially when we talk about like being able to identify situations of human trafficking. You know, a child could be still living at home, sleeping in their own bed every night, and be being trafficked. Um, and so it's just really important that we're all aware, you know, we're informed about what trafficking looks like, because if we think it's just sort of that sensationalized Hollywood, you know, type um, of situation, we're gonna miss yeah. a lot of the trafficking that's happening in our own communities. All right, that's it for another episode of Reclaiming Social Justice. I want to thank our guest, Jennifer Reyes-Ley, who is the Executive Director of U.S. Catholic Sisters Against Human Trafficking. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. If you want to learn more about the sisters fighting trafficking, please check out their websites at sistersagainsttrafficking.org to learn more about their work and how you can support them. I also invite you all to register for Keeping Kids Safe Online, a presentation via Zoom by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which Jennifer referenced in her interview with us. If you're a St. Anthony Catholic community member, you can register for this presentation on Realm. 
or you can email me at drauda at satigard.org. That's drauda at satigard.org. One of the next organizations that I'm hoping to get on the podcast is Youth Ending Slavery, or YES for short. It's a Portland-based anti-trafficking organization that's completely led by youth, uh, high school age youth specifically. So um, stay tuned for that. I'm super excited for that conversation. Don't forget to subscribe to Reclaiming Social Justice on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or your other podcast platform of choice. And of course, don't forget to share this episode on your social media. I'll see you next time. Take care, guys.